Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. By way of introduction, I have to say your about section on your website is probably <laughs> one of my most favorites because you you tell us who you are and then you say, I'm not famous. And if that's what you were hoping for, feel free to move along. And then for those who are on board, kind of keep reading. And I was like, this is so my person. So you grew up two hours north of Minneapolis in a small town called Staples, yes. which is an office brand here in Canada. Like your office depot is our Staples. Mm-hmm. You started a band before you even played the bass. And then you started many more bands until you actually got one. Graduate from high school, moved to Nashville for college, started a band called The Kicks after college, got your first gig, and you played to an empty room, which is so awesome. Like, we all start there. But what I really love is after the band, you began writing blog posts every day, which is how I found you through Seth Godin and his creative workshop, because he's a big fan, which really says a lot about you. Mm. And I'm starting to think that there's this underworld of introverted, amazingly brilliant thought leaders. And I think I find a new one every day. Mm. And your blog is inspiring. Your blog makes me stop and think. Sometimes I need to reread things. And I have to say, I'm going to, I'm going to put you up there with Seth. Sometimes your Mm. blog gives me a prompt that cognitively just drops me to my knees. And I'm like, Mm. okay, what's he really saying? Like, where Mm -hmm. are we going here? It's just, I just want you to know that the craft of a blog, which you've inspired me to do my own, I can see the amount of innovation and creativity that you put into this. Mm. And I put some fun questions together because I do see you as a leader. Mm. I feel the empathy and the heart come out the way you write in your blog. And I love the way you teach me something, but you challenge something. And there's always kind of a paralleled alignment of candor (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and humor, which aligns with your about section. So it's kind of like a full circle. So I have some fun questions that I just want to ask you and, and feel free to go off and riff on any of these questions because it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my show. Like you, I I am not famous. I'm I'm well known and obscure and I really <laughs> like that place. And our little podcast is now being listened to in 65 countries. It's awesome. Congratulations. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's not about, I think you and I really join each other in in integrity and value for ourselves. I think there's a deep level of self-awareness that I'm not writing to please others. I'm writing to showcase 
my craft and, mm-hmm. and become better each day. It's not about other people. And, and if you build a community along the way, that's great, but that's not the reason for me either. And I get mm-hmm. that from you as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, like attracts like, hence here we are on this podcast. When I, when I told some of my fellow classmates from the workshop that I asked you to be on the podcast, they were like, you asked them? <laughs> and, and you know what my response was? I said, Gabe gets up in the morning and puts his pants on and brushes his teeth just like us. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it ain't pretty. Right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you some questions and, and let's have, I'm just going to kind of have some formal questions. And then I have kind of what I call my fab four, which I'm probably going to make fab six for you just because cool. I want to have some fun. But my, as long as it's fab. It's fab. It is. Yeah. Totally fab. First question. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? And if so, tell us why. Yes. Yeah, I do. I think the first thing that, uh, what it means to be a leader is that you have at least one follower. And my wife was the first follower on my blog. I think I might've signed her up for it, but she was the first follower. And so I think by definition that, that would, that would make me a leader. Uh, But I would say for myself, Taking responsibility to give consistently is one of the things that I throw into the the definition of leadership uh, for myself. And uh, because there's all kinds of different leaders, there's funny ones and assertive ones and quiet ones. And so I have just enough life under my belt to start figuring out what kind of leader I can be. And that's through consistency and care and showing up for a group of people who I like and I can I can push a little bit too. And what I love about that is I'm I'm welcoming you into the arena of heart-centered leadership. That is the the premise of my being. It's it's what I've always thought and for 30 years I have gone down a path that's been very lonely and was told that empathy and heart and love were never allowed in leadership. Mm. And then we go through a global pandemic and now everybody's talking about love and kindness and how we have to be there for one another. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but why did we have to have a pandemic to start treating people as equal or like Seth says, have, why can't we just get up every day and have such a deepened visceral level of self-awareness and execute radical empathy with everybody? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think leadership is lonely. That's part of the definition too. You've got to you've got to have enough distance from the people following you to where you can make decisions on behalf of those people. And being a leader is awesome, but it's also lonely. And year after year, when you put yourself in in that seat, uh, that loneliness can pile up. And when we're not careful take us to places we don't want to be. But I think once I heard the phrase leadership is lonely, that really helped me be on the lookout for it. Um, Not only to do something with it once it uh, made itself known, but to also see that loneliness is maybe a step uh, that, that I'm on the right path too. It's a good sign, even though it's not always a welcome one. Absolutely. And you know, leaders at the top are lonely because they lead with an extrinsic value in their thinking. Mm -hmm. 
And if we could get everyone anchored back into that intrinsic way of thinking and put people over profit, there wouldn't be a loneliness at the top because the top doesn't have to be that proverbial white ceiling. And mm-hmm. it all comes down to how we view success. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Now, I named the podcast Imperfect because... I love being imperfect. I think Mm -hmm. we're all imperfect. And I think calling the show Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast, it leaves room for us to fail forward and be imperfect. So share with us what imperfections you have brought to your craft, to your leadership. The imperfections brought to my leadership through the blog and through what I do with other musicians. Well, something that I've got better at over the years is that the good thing about the blog, as opposed to even our conversation now, is that with the blog, I get to take as many extra seconds as I need. I can sit and think on something for two minutes or three minutes before typing it and then review it. Um, I don't spend tons of time editing, but so the, the imperfection of just getting it wrong, just not making it getting it 95% there and then sometimes wishing I could seal up that 5%. I rush things a lot. Sometimes I don't care enough on a specific blog post to really flush it out. Maybe I'm rushed or tired at the end of the day and just get something out. Sometimes at at night when I write and just staring at the blank screen going like, I don't know if I have anything today. And then getting an idea and putting it down and knowing that it's like the monologue at the beginning of Saturday Night Live. They don't come on and say whether or not tonight's show is going to be good. Yeah. And so, and same thing with, with so much of what all of us do, I'm sure your listeners included is I don't preface the blog with this is a good one or this isn't a good one because sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not great. Just like sometimes you've got the best, most funny people on Saturday Night Live and it falls flat. And they knew, and they kind of, and they kind of knew that it was going to fall flat, but no preface. You just, you put it out there, you let it ride, you know, you're going to get another shot. And that's, that's a little bit, it, it, what, what, is there anything else specifically on the imperfection thing that, that you want to point at or prod at? No, but I love the way you frame that. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I get from it. To me, we're all imperfect. And I think closing the gap on our own self-judgment of the success quotient is show up every day because I love who said it and I don't know who said it. Done is better than perfect. And we're allowed to be imperfect. And I know what you mean about that 5%. Like you feel like you just need, it's like a recipe where you just need that last little sprinkle of something, but you don't know what it is, Mm -hmm. but you might be too tired and that's okay. But you showed up, you dripped. Seth says to drip every day, show up and drip. It's not always going to be perfect, but it's going to be a continuum of self. And that's what's important. Mm -hmm. And for anyone to say that they show up every day and everything's wonderful and everything just flows out, they're they're not being honest with self or with us. Mm -hmm. And I've been in that space, the same as you, but... I still put something out to put something out because you've taught me that. Mm. Other other bloggers have taught me that. I, I've had two comments back on my blog and uh, somebody actually commented on something I wrote, which I got all excited about. Mm. And then somebody emailed me and said, I subscribe to your blog because I feel like it's an inspirational horoscope. And I was like, mm. okay, I'm 20 some odd days in. That's a yeah. win, right? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I love that. My next question is, 
when I read some of your blog posts, I can see and feel and taste you thinking outside the box. So my question to kind of piggyback that is when you think outside the box, are you also acting outside the box? Um, I think outside the box more than I act outside the box, but I'm on the path to getting better at acting outside the box. I love the feeling of, it it can be something as simple as like uh, saying something to somebody at the grocery store. Um, I was actually, this was good. This was that feeling of acting outside the box. And it's so a tiny example, but I was at my daughter's kindergarten graduation yesterday. And so there's all these parents, you know, tons of kids, tons of parents everywhere. And I'm kind of a shoe guy as well, a bit of a sneakerhead. And there was this dad with these pink running shoes pink chino pants and like a, like a, this checkered pink shirt and like the whole, and a cool hat and the whole thing was great. And so I kind of saw him from across the gym and I was like, man, that guy looks great. Like he, he obviously put this thing together. And so I actually, I passed him as we were walking out and I just said, Hey, love your outfit. And it's so simple, but that little phrase was a, a bit of the acting outside of the box, like actually saying something instead of saying nothing and just like, telling my wife like, oh, there's a guy with the outfit to actually speak up and say something. For me, I'm getting better at that. And it's those little things or asking a question, slowing down. I always think of like outside of the box is asking the next question that's underneath what the most common response is, or just taking time to respond. That gets me, because there's my knee-jerk reaction. And then there's like, the second and third and fourth things that I would think of. And I'm getting better at accessing those more uh, quickly and more timely. And when I do, it feels really great. Well, and what a nice validation when, when somebody does that. It's, it's another intrinsic value when we can look at another human being and he probably thought, Hey, thanks. You know, like he, he worked on his fashion. He, he dressed like that to send a message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, hey, look at me. I'm whole couture cool, here at the yeah, kindergarten yeah. graduation. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have to ask this question. Who are your top three musical influences and how did they influence you? The first and foremost, the Beatles. Um, yeah, I feel like we're, we're, what, 10 minutes into this thing, we haven't talked about that, that documentary that came out, but we'll, co- we'll come back to that. But the Beatles, who I discovered in seventh grade, I couldn't believe that music could be that good and make me feel that way. I remember hearing Hey Jude, Strawberry Fields, and the live version of All My Loving from the Red Double Disc. And just being, I didn't know that music could make me feel that way and be that good. And then there's another... So that was seventh grade. Also at that time, there was a band forming where I lived in Minnesota, a CCM band called PFR. They were from the 90s. Anyway, and they, so I knew those guys because I had listened to the Beatles. My goodness, this music is amazing. And now people who I know are in a band and having success. And that opened the door to thinking, you know, my seventh grade mind thinking, I can do this. And that, so that was, that's, how, that's why I'm in Nashville right now, is, is probably specifically those two uh, artists. Um, and if I could throw a third, I got to say, I did get into the Beach Boys pretty early too, probably around that same time. And I love ba- uh, background vocals. So there you go. That's, that's probably the whole thing. 
And, and there's always like a timeline, you know, that's engraved in our hearts. And, and just, I always like to call it heirloom memories. There's like you said, you didn't think there was music that could make you feel so good. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting because there's many different genres of music that I like. When I, when I listen to jazz, <laughs> again, another influence from Seth, I like jazz, but now my bandwidth's been blown open to so many more jazz players and singers. And it's just calming. Like when I'm writing, I'm listening to jazz. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I'm a 60s. So the the 80s was my high school, you know, time. So all the heavy metal, classic rock. Yeah. There's just days you need to get in your car and jump on the highway and rip to a little ACDC or Def Leppard or whoever. Yeah, I was going to say, who's your your big 80s uh, hair bands? You know, I have to tell you, since I was 12, which was many decades ago, I am a diehard Aerosmith fan. Uh, we have connection. We have liftoff. Steven Tyler, um, you know, uh, I have been right up in front line of a concert and he's incredible. They are an incredible band. Yeah. Uh, been to Boston a couple of times, been to their bar, was hoping they'd roll in for okay. a beer, but yeah. um, just they're classic, you know, they, they've held the, the test of time. I also really like Bon Jovi and I love who John Bon Jovi is as a person. Mm-hmm. I love his grace. I love his level of philanthropy. Um, I love that he married his high school sweetheart. Mm. There's just so many things that like you, I don't just see the music and the lyrics. I, I've really taken time to learn and read and get to know why I like them, why I'm drawn to them. It's like the energy with you and your blog and your music. There's there's a story there and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And the age and where they grew up, it's important, but yeah. it's all the other stuff that's added in that makes it, you know. But I'm also a lover of Def Leppard. Uh, I have seen them in concert many times. Haven't been to concerts in a few years, obviously. So really looking forward to to getting back to that. But you could throw me at an indie festival and, you know, I'd be you know, happy to be in the front row of the Lumineers. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to travel back in time to, you know, the, the prohibition days and mm. all, all that music, you know, I, there's so many different genres that I'm drawn to. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's, it's how they make you feel and, and what you need in that moment. And I just really believe that music heals on so many different levels. I, I volunteer at hospice and I'm mm. with people a lot at the end of life. And there's certain music that they want to hear. And that's all they want. They just they just need that for that calming moment. And they don't want anybody else around. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it heal sick people. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of an alignment with mindset. But I think music is really personal. Mm-hmm. I think we all interpret it different, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of good in what you said. I, a couple things. I can't tell you the number of times over the years that, you, I mean, talk about music healing, but me and, and I've talked with, about this with other guys too, is having like headaches, neck aches, backache, things happening on the road. And all of a sudden, I mean, whether it's the adrenaline, whatever, the music combination of everything, you get done with the show and you're all better. You know, it's like the, my headache went away. My neck ache went away. And I, I've always, 
I've always loved that so much about, about music, but it's funny. It's awesome that you bring up Aerosmith because I would, I would, I went with beach boys, but I was teetering on beach boys or Aerosmith because Steven Tyler, he's a voice. He's the first voice where I could hear him sing anything. And I know I would love it. My wife has met him twice. I have met him zero. Well, you're going to have to tell Sarah that I'm not jealous, but I'm super envious. Yep. But I, I have been at arm's length yeah. in a concert from him. Yeah. And he is one hell of a performer. You get your money's worth and more. Yeah, he, he's amazing. Um, I, I've seen him a handful of times. And I, like you on the front row, which was really great. And I'll tell you what it was. It, again, middle school, very formative uh, period of life. But it was the the scream on crying, you know, at the end, there's that bar where the band drops out. And I couldn't, I remember rewinding to that part on the CD so many times. It would happen, rewind, scream, do it all again. That, that, that was another really big one for me. And even taking, you know, a lot of the Aerosmith and Beatles and Beach Boys stuff into the band that I was in in the kicks, we drew from a lot a lot of that stuff. Um, so yeah, Aerosmith is way up on the list for me too. Serendipitous moment right here. I know, I love it. Okay, here's my last question before we get to really the fab, juicy, fun stuff. How do you define success? Today, I define success as being able to do the good parts again and uh, getting better at the not as fun parts. I think that definition would have been different 10 years ago. But just being able to stick around, just being able, especially in you know in a town like Nashville that has a lot of churn, a lot of um, a lot of broken hearts. This whole city is built on the dream, but the dashing of the dream. And so, to the successful people, and I consider myself one of them at this point, is just the people who are hanging around, the people who are still have joy to bring to the table, who are willing to show up and do the work and uh, despite the unknown. But yeah, just, I think at this point, if you're still around doing it, it's pretty successful. And I, that definition that you just said, I call that joy spreaders. I'm a joy spreader. You're a joy spreader. Yeah, I like that too. I, uh, I'm coming to Nashville for the first time in the fall with my husband. Okay. So we are 29 years married. I have a couple friends in Nashville. Love it. Uh, one of them I'm going to introduce you to. Please. And uh, so I'm I'm excited. So I might be hitting you up for a list of places that I, I got to see and I got to visit. So it's just. Do it. Yeah, we'll get, let's get together. I would love that. Absolutely. I would love that. Okay. I'm going to switch to my, my fab questions. And these are the ones I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Whatever's sitting on the top of your brilliant mind. Okay. So, okay. so no thinking. Whatever's okay. just sitting, it's it's ready to launch right off there. the frontal lobe. Yeah. Tell us something that we don't know about Gabe, the bass player. I once swallowed a goldfish. <laughs> a black, a black or gold one. Was it truly gold? It was really gold. It was alive. It was a late night and we needed to spice it up. Um, and I, and there was a goldfish. It's a long story, but I said, I'll, I'll swallow that goldfish. That is the first on the show. There we go. Now we talked about this a little bit, but I want to ask you in the context of you not thinking, if I ask you right now, today, in this moment, who is your favorite artist today? Bruno Mars. Yeah. Oh, Everything he's, 
His electrifying energy. The 24 karat record and then what he's doing with the Silk Sonic stuff. I absolutely love it. The care that he takes with each performance to map it out and yet deviate from the plan. He operates at such an elite top tier level. Yeah, what he's doing with the Silk Sonic stuff right now is, I mean, it, it is professionalism to the nth degree. It's so great. Yeah, I agree. And I just saw him on one of the award shows and he's very humble. Yeah. And it's it's not about the awards for him. It's like you said, being at the top of your game and then just putting in a little bit of deviation just to yeah. keep everybody guessing. I love it. I, I totally get that. Okay, favorite song today? Oh, uh, one specific song. Okay, come, what comes to mind is the, um, the John Mayer. It's on this 2017 record. Uh, uh, it's called Emoji of a Wave. It's uh, kind of a nice. deep cut, John Mayer, but... That's what comes to mind first. It's, uh, yeah, it's like the perfect melancholy, very different than Bruno Mars, but the perfect melancholy little Saturday rainy tune that I love. Awesome. Favorite guitar? A red 60s 335 with the big speed, or 345 or 355, um, Actually, so my um, my nephews, their dad was a guitar player named Will Owsley, who is a kind of a big deal in Nashville. He had some records that came out in the 90s, and uh, Will Owsley has since passed away. So my nephews, his sons, brought some of his old guitars over the other day, and he had a 61 Red 335 with the Bigsby. It's a little, uh, 61 is a little skinnier of uh, uh, the neck, and it was the most perfect guitar I've ever played in my whole life. Um, when I think about how a guitar sounds, it's a 330, it's a vintage 335 through a vintage AC30. That's it. That's it for me. That is the way, that's the way guitar sounds in my head. And, and it's, you know, it's that sensorial and auditory intersection. And it's much like what you said about your blog. You, you get to that 95% and it's just, okay, mm -hmm. what, what's going to come next? And it's that, it's that same space in our brain. It's that same feeling center, right? Right, right, right. How special was that for you to, 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 to have them and have them come over and, and play those guitars? And what a lovely heirloom memory for you. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I knew that there was a storage space filled with all of Will's old stuff. And it's only been in, in recent months that they uh, were able to get to it and, and get some of that old stuff. But man, that I'm telling you, there was a couple of, there was like a 60, maybe a 59 Martin acoustic, and then a 62 semi-hollow Gretsch that they also brought. And it was just like, it's every guitar player's, I mean, those, those are the guitars that we all wish ours were. You know, it's like we get a new 335 because we can't afford the old one. We get, you know, uh, so to, to be able to play the real thing was, was so amazing. And those were the guitars that he played, I mean, like all through his career too. So it was cool to be able to, to finally get our hands on those. Well, and just, you know, it's like thinking back to that time. Mm-hmm what it would have felt like for him to play it. And then you got a little glimpse and a little feeling of that. And, yeah. and that's what I said, when I listened to some of this old music, I think, I wonder what it was like to live in that era. And it just yeah. brings you back there, right? Yeah. It gives you a little bit of reminiscing yeah. while you're enjoying the energy and the emotion from the music. It's yeah. beautiful. 
Have you have you watched the um, the Jacob Dylan Laurel Canyon documentary? No. I, it's I, it's either it's like Netflix or HBO, but Jacob Dylan's narrating the whole thing and does some interview stuff. But it goes through all the bands, all the artists who were doing Laurel Canyon in the seventies. And I was a the seventies. I'm not as acquainted with the seventies music, but um, it was a great reeducation on just like. It was so together. It was so of the time and people partying and going crazy, but songwriting and performing and recording with each other. It was such a moment and like such a community and a spirit to be around. I, I definitely recommend check it out. There's a couple different Laurel Canyon ones out, but, it, but all of them have, it's just that spirit comes through of mm-hmm. this is a vibe. It's these few years. You can't recreate it. It's special. You had to be here. It's great. I'm going to have to check it out. It makes me think of, we found a couple, obviously through COVID, we've watched a bit more television, but I love watching some of the artists do their life story. Uh, Tina Turner is a great one. I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. Um, We just watched another one. I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. Uh, David, famous composer to a lot of artists. It'll come back to me. See, this is what I love about being imperfect. <laughs> it's, it's a really good one as well. Cool. But the Tina Turner one, you know, there's so much trauma and emotion. And then yeah. you look at her now getting her Lifetime Achievement Award. I think she's in her late 70s. Mm-hmm. And just a survivor. And the music saved her. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's that theme that we've been talking about this whole time. It it really does heal people in different ways at different times in our life, during different uh, phases of our life, or mm-hmm. sad times, good times. Every emotion can be attached to music, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, next question. Who is your favorite thought leader? Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. What do you love about, like, what do we not love about Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah, he's the best. He's the best. Have you seen his new show? I have. Well, uh, which one are you referencing? Coffee and Cars? Oh, yeah. I've I've watched all of them. I've watched all of them. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, he speaks how I think. And so I get a lot out of all his meanderings. He's great. Well, and he's fun. and, And who doesn't miss that show, right? I know, I know. He, I heard him on something the other day and he said he kind of puts the pin in that show for a little while, doesn't know if he's going to come back to it or not. But um, I actually just got done reading his, he put out a book last year with like all of his stand-up material from the early, early days to now. And so it's just all, it's, it's all of his bits. And it's super funny, but you kind of get, it's an education on putting a joke together or just like putting, really putting a story, an arc together is really fascinating. Yeah, I just got done with that book the other day. I, uh, that'll be a good book to check out. And again, it's nice when they take the time and share their life with us and mm-hmm. their writing and, and their heart. Now, I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence to close out the show. And again, whatever's on top of mind. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is not waiting for understanding to put care into action. I think myself included, it's easy to get distracted by wanting to understand or even for waiting for the idea of empathy to show up, um, which requires an understanding. But 
heart center makes me go down the road of caring before understanding and empathy not, isn't even required here. But I'm just somebody who operates from the heart and I'm willing to care before any of the other things show up. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.